Guys, we have the coolest guest on the show today. That's right. We have Natasha Case from one of the co-founders from Cool House. Cool House is a leading woman-found ice cream brand that brings everything from cookie sandwiches, pints, bars, to an amazing, cute, awesome ice cream truck that travels around and does you know events and activations. But I'm, I'm really excited to kind of share her story. One of the things that I love about her and just this brand is that number one, it's Southern California-based and they actually started out in Culver City, which is really cool. But also too, that they have, if you look on their website, they have this like banner down at the bottom that shows everything about them in like 30 seconds. Okay. So they use real ingredients. They use, they don't use any growth hormone. They use cage-free eggs, you know, cold pressed vanilla beans, organic chocolate, organic cane sugar. They're just like this legitimate, amazing ice cream company. And the founders are adorable. And I mean, they basically took like this really cool old van and just like turned it in this amazing ice cream truck. So I'm super excited to share their story. They actually now are, you know, in seven 7,500 grocery stores ranging from Whole Foods to Safeway. They're all over the place. So if you see them, check them out. I'm actually really excited. I want to try one of their dairy-free ice creams because I'm trying to go dairy-free minus all the cheese and my love and passion for cheese and wine. But I'm super excited to have them on. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to dive right in and hear their story. This should be a really cool one. And, you know, I love women owned businesses. I love that they saw a need for this and just decided to go for it. Also too, their branding is super cute. I'm actually looking at their website right now and it's super fun. It's pink. It's all over the place. It's, I mean, not all over the place, but it's just kind of really fun design. So without further ado, let's get right into it. Under the Influence Podcast is all about bringing together brands, influencers, thought leaders, and communities to inspire and empower a positive impact. Each week, I will dive into the power of influence over the ever-changing, trend-chasing, and slightly obsessed entrepreneurial and influencer community. We talk insider tips, tricks, the latest buzz, and even our top not-so-secret happy hour cocktails. My name is Whitney Eckes. I'm the owner and founder of Eckes Marketing and the Influence Movement, and we are about to get under the influence. Hi guys, welcome back to the show. Today I have on the podcast Miss Natasha Case, and she is the founder of the super cool brand Cool House. It's an amazing ice cream brand. I talked about it a little bit in the intro, but Natasha, welcome. I'm super excited to hear your story. I want to hear just how you came from all of this and how you decided to launch this amazing ice cream brand. Thanks so much for having me on. Um, it's been a really exciting and interesting journey. My background is in architecture and design. And I think I was searching for a way to make architecture more fun and accessible. And I feel that things that are cool should be more accessible, not less. I started to uh, incorporate yeah, food and using food as a material to talk about design. And I found that it was a great way to connect with people. People let their guard down around food. It's so memorable. It's so fun. It's so engaging. And I just really fell in love with this idea. And I played around with the concept through the rest of my um, college degree. I, I went to Berkeley and then through grad school at UCLA, I started calling this idea architecture, food plus architecture. 
And then uh, fast forward to my first real job out of grad school was Disney Imagineering. I was there for just a few months before the recession started to set in. So I started to, you know, as part of this architecture concept, bake cookies, make ice cream from scratch, and uh, name the combinations after architects uh, to kind of lighten the mood at the office. So if people had, you know, gotten some bad news, a, a pink slip, you know, I'd come over with my Frank Berry ice cream sandwich or my minimalism. And so, you know, it was really a passionate hobby to start out with. And then I uh, met the other founder of Cool House, Freya Estreller. And we also started dating uh, pretty much from day one. So we were, we were partners in all ways. And she really kind of turned me on to the business potential of this uh, out-of-the-box idea. And I think, you know, from there, we just saw a huge opportunity, you know, in, in the freezer aisle where there had been very little innovation, very little unique flavor creation. And I think most importantly, really no brands that spoke to us as uh, millennials and definitely not as women, definitely not as gay women. So it was just time to, I think, reinvent and elevate for our generation. We had no money though, and we were 25 years old. So the only way to really bring this concept to market was a beat up postal van masquerading as an ice cream truck. So we bought one with my personal credit card for $2,700 and we needed a big event to launch at. So we begged Coachella uh, music festival to let us sell there. You know, we had this truck with no engine, how we're going to get there. We figured out that if we joined AAA platinum, we got one free 200 mile tow. So the morning of Coachella, we pretended the truck broke down, even though it never drove and we towed it out to the desert. And that's how it all started. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, I didn't, I just got chills. I didn't know the AAA story, but that's pretty incredible. <laughs> Thank you. It was, uh, yeah, it was, you know, just one of those kind of wild things that you just, you just have to get the job done. Yeah. And I mean, you, I just, I just feel like the approach too that you took for, you know, ice cream, I, I think one of the things that stood out most to me, you know, on your actual website is that down at the bottom, you have, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, nine little circles that talk about all the products that are within the ice cream, right? So you don't use any growth hormone, you use real ingredients, it's cage-free eggs, you know, it's cold pressed vanilla beans. And I, I just love how everything about this brand, you kind of are front and center about what's inside of it. You know, even on your branding and the late and like the package design, the ingredients are right there, you know, and if it's dairy free, it says dairy free on it. Tell us a little bit about how you developed the product. You know, you said you wanted a product that really kind of spoke to you and, you know, that came from this creation of, uh, architecture. Did I say that yeah. correctly? Well <laughs> uh, thank you. Um, so tell me about, you know, how you really got into the nitty gritty of designing this? Yeah, I think, um, you know, definitely quality was, is, is, and, uh, always will be a, um, non-negotiable. I think that's kind of like a baseline, you know, for our generation, we expect things to be made a certain way and we expect transparency into that process. So that includes not only what the ingredients are, but how it all comes together. You know, uh, what's, what's the style of production and what does it take to really build a product from the ground up, whether that's a pint or a sandwich uh, or one of our future creations, for example, we're working on, you know, bite-sized bonbon and we're working on reinventing the Choco Taco as a taquito. So that for me is part of the design background, you know, architecting these products. And then in terms of what's in there, I just know I have a very high standard and I'm pretty much right in the core of our target demo. So I know if it's something that I wouldn't want to eat, I'm not going to put it in our ice cream. And it's, it, it makes yeah. the decision-making uh, pretty, pretty easy. I think all 
also, as you get bigger and as you grow, you can commit to higher and higher standards because you have more buying power, you have more influence and you have more ability to partner with like-minded brands to do that. So that's just always like a major fundamental. I think the things that start set you apart is the creativity and the uniqueness of thought. I think creating really interesting flavors that are totally outside the box that truly come from the heart and soul of this brand, but at the same time, elevating classics, you know, not being ashamed to make an incredible vanilla that we feel is the best in the market. We're not here to just, you know, speak to people who want to have really wild ice cream flavors. We're here to speak to people who just want to have the best ice cream too. So I think that those things are really important. And then applying the creativity to the product itself. Like I said, you know, reinventing novelties is a space that we can totally own. We're pretty much the only super premium brand who's really playing in the novelty space. I think that's a huge opportunity to just dominate that niche. And then, you know, I think how you bring the story in and how you tell people what you're about and who you are and what's kind of the lifestyle behind the brand is also just like, no one can replicate that. No one can copy our story of how we got started and how we built this. We always celebrate that. And that's amazing. And I love that you kind of are tapping into the branding being, you know, your own story, right? Or how the brand was created and how that's so, you know, different than any other product out there. Because you're right, you can't replicate that. Right. That's so amazing. So, and you have done, like, I was just kind of stalking your Instagram the other day and I noticed that you guys did a mustard ice cream with French's. Tell me about that. It looks, it's like bright yellow and there's like pretzels all over it. Tell me about it. Yeah, it's kind of wild. So, you know, this is something that's become the bread and butter, especially of our events business, but I would say it's also an important piece of our brand marketing. So a lot of these big brands, they have something that they want to make relevant again. For example, McCormick's and French's mustard. French's mustard amidst all the, you know, artisan gourmet mustards, it's important that it positions itself in a way that's really captivating for the up and coming audience. So they're going to look for brand validation from a brand like us, who's very boutique, very edgy, you know, a diverse perspective, um, leadership, you know, uniqueness of, of what we're known for in terms of flavor creation, a truck fleet that we can turnkey and get out there on the street to celebrate a partnership and activation, they're going to look to us to kind of be the yin to their yang. And that's exactly what we can do. We can plug in a concept and idea like celebrating, you know, mustard in an ice cream flavor and, and get it to the audience in this way. That's very authentic and, and fun and real and very grassroots. And it's a win for us because, you know, they're obviously a much bigger brand. They have huge exposure. They have uh, powerhouse, you know, marketing and, and PR team. And it's a win in terms of that. And also, you know, it's, it's, there's a, there's a budget to do this project. So there's budget alignment for us where we can get the exposure without paying for it. It's they're a client. They're, they're paying us for a service, but we're getting a much bigger kind of uh, exposure as are they from, from that, you know, relatively smaller budget. So, you know, that's something that I think we see as a strategic edge for our brand. And we only plan to continue to grow that business. That's amazing. And I love that you talk about it. Like it's like a very happy and like sustainable relationship, right? Like it brings benefits to both parties, not only you guys, but also, you know, French. So that's absolutely incredible. And I have a couple other questions that I really want to dive in with you, you know, because you kind of started out saying that you started this as like a hobby, right? Yeah. When, 
when did you know that, you know, now it's time to go after this full force? And, you know, when did you make the decision that, hey, this is going to be my career? This is where I'm going to kind of put all my eggs right now. Well, for, for many people, I think coming out of the recession, the, the, the climate sort of made a decision for me, which is to say that, you know, we launched at Coachella in April 2009. I had by then already become a, uh, you know, a, a consequence of the layoffs um, at Disney Imagineering. And I, I was working at that time at a design trade show. And then that trade show, actually like the exhibition of that trade show happened in June. And it was very obvious at that show that there was going to be no future. And the company actually went bankrupt. So mm-hmm. in June, sort of said, seems like the stars are aligning for me to just dive in to Cool House because, you know, there's that's one of the best options on the table. We've, you know, launched the brand. It's been around for a few months. It's taking off. And Freya said to me, are you sure that Cool House can afford to pay you? And I said, no, but there's only one way to find out. And I think because I was in a relationship with Freya and she still worked full time at real estate development, um, at a real estate development firm, you know, that helped us offset the risk. I think if we both went in full time at that moment, it would have been too much, but uh, having the partnership with her and having another, you know, household income allowed me to be able to take that risk and really, and really start to jump in. And frankly, you know, jumping in made a huge difference. I think that summer was major, major, you know, awareness and and dollars, uh, uh, like growth for us from what we were starting from and just really kind of made it so like by the end of that summer, like, okay, this is happening. This is going to live on and grow to be something tremendous. That's amazing. And then tell us the point too, you know, so you came from, you know, you had this ice cream truck, you launched at Coachella, you know, you guys are kind of like, okay, look, now we're going to really start ramping it up. And then from there, you're, you've you been able to grow and scale your company, not just to, you know, being at a couple of grocery stores, but over 7,500. And like you talked about, you have like a fleet of trucks. So tell us, you know, how did you scale? How did, what was like the process during all that? I mean, at first it really was about the truck business. That was really our day to day. So we did at first grow the fleet. Uh, we added another truck in LA because we couldn't keep up with the business with our original truck, not to mention the original truck. Uh, let's just say exceeding <laughs> our expectations in terms of even making it to some events. <laughs> um, so we, and we actually use this great company opportunity fund, which was, is a micro lender that has very low interest rates and we could borrow against the first truck um, and also was very fast in, in terms of getting us the loan. And, and that was really important because there was really nowhere to go with the size of request of dollars we needed for the truck fleet to grow. And uh, I'm actually now on the board of Opportunity Fund, which is like, you know, I'm basically their poster child. But that that helped. Um, and then we started to grow into other cities with trucks. Um, uh, we went to New York and Texas, where we still have a fleet. I think after a couple of years of that, we could see, you know, this is an amazing, this is a profitable business. This is amazing brand builder, uh, you know, boutique marketing, just, it's so incredibly special to, to really know how to run this truck business and to be able to use that strategically. But I think if we wanted to continue to scale, it also, it became obvious that it's not, we, we weren't looking to have trucks in every single city across the country. It's just so specific, you know, county to county, city to city, each truck is its own unique beast. So we, we started to think, let's explore the channels that we really couldn't when we first launched, which was scoop shops and grocery. And so we did um, sign a lease and start to build a scoop shop. And I think pretty quickly realized that 
we were going to need more dollars than the organic profits that we had in the business to do both of these big jobs. And we raised raised an angel round of about a million dollars. We finished the flagship store in Culver City, which our headquarters where I'm at today is right next to. We, you know, explored the grocery business. We started with a three-store test at Whole Foods with five sandwiches where we compromised nothing about the quality and integrity of the ingredients and how it was made. We compromised nothing about what we felt people should pay for something, you know, this superior and this Mm -hmm. premium. Uh, and while it wasn't, you know, a perfect, uh, launch in terms of, let's just say my, my packaging, my architecture degree packaging was subpar. It actually succeeded a lot because we had so much brand awareness and we had built so much buzz around the trucks. And then we were able to quickly react and fix some of the packaging and begin to start to scale within Whole Foods first, you know, regionally and now nationally, and then uh, a ton of other grocery stores, everything from your Publix to, you know, Vons Pavilions, um, Albertson Safeway to Wegmans and many, many specialty and natural stores around the country as well. So that, that business has had the far substantial part of the overall scale and growth. That's absolutely incredible. And I kind of like that you talked about that you're like, you know, you you started out this launch in Whole Foods and you're like, you know, it wasn't the best, but you know, it got, you did it, you know, you started and you got it, you know, kind of off the ground. I, I did want to kind of backtrack a little bit and I wanted to ask you, you know, for those listening that are like dreaming of owning their own brand or product one day, how did you find out all this research? How did you go into this grocery industry, you know, kind of just starting out and not really knowing much. I mean, there's been a lot of learning throughout grocery. I think, I think that a lot of things in the beginning, when you're just getting started, it's okay to be a generalist and to kind of figure it out. You know, the, the three store test was a really, you know, there wasn't like there was massive, massive dollars at stake there. So I think Mm -hmm. you kind of, you get through it, you figure it out. And then as you grow and there's more behind the business, having the expertise, having the specialists, is so important because it's, it's not about, you know, you don't, you don't want to be making guesses. I mean, you're always going to have to trust your gut and your instinct. And that is going to be important connecting to the flavor, to, to, you know, flavor choices or product ideas. And that's always key. Like, I don't want to say that everything is, becomes about data or about market research, but I think having that instinct and that strong soul of the brand in partnership with specialization, you know, that expertise, that strategy is, is really, really huge. And you have to keep evolving, you know, as a founder and as, as, today, the CEO of the brand, you have to always be growing and opening your mind to, you know, how much more there is to understand from the business and also be willing to change and be a leader and a pioneer of that business, not just responding to what's happening in the market, but thinking about where is this going and how can we direct that trend ourselves? Yeah, that's absolutely incredible. I love that you said that you wanted to touch or that you, you know, it's, it's important to leave it to the specialist, right? It's important to ask for help, especially... When you do start to really scale and grow your business, I think that's something too that, you know, everyone, you know, we listen to so many different entrepreneurs, podcasts and businesses and read books and things like that, you know, especially somebody that has started their own business, that I think it's also very important to understand that, you know, at a certain level in business, it's okay to, you know, approach these people that, you know, that is their specialty, that is their craft. Absolutely. No, you, you need to be surrounded by experts and that's how you're going to um, learn and grow is learning things from them makes you better overall at what you're doing. And it also helps you uh, be able to focus on what you're, how you're best applied to the business. 
Totally. So tell me, was there someone that was like a mentor or like someone that was like a huge influence upon you when you were starting this brand or when you starting a uh, cool house? I think our angel investor, um, Bobby Margolis, um, who had built Cherokee jeans for those children of the nineties out there through the <laughs> panel. <laughs> nice. Yeah. He was an incredible coach and he really made me think more like a CEO or even think of myself that way, you know, and, and what that mm-hmm. meant and really, and really talked about vision and leadership and culture and really ingrained certain values in me that are still really important to me today. And then I would say, you know, Freya has been a huge mentor to me and an inspiration to me growing this business. And I'm lucky today to have someone else at the company, um, Denise Siravaka, who's our president. And she is, is coming with, you know, three decades of experience and a ton of strategic knowledge. And I've just learned so much from working with her. That's incredible. I love that. And I love that you, you know, it sounds like you really surround yourself with people that help you to grow. It sounds like that you kind of look for these people where you can, you know, grow with them and learn from them, but also, you know, that are such an asset to helping you grow your business. Absolutely. That's so Everyone awesome. Does it on their own. I, I love it. It takes a village, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. That's amazing. So I want to kind of dive into this topic of influence, you know, we created this podcast really kind of diving into, you know, this influencer trend, how people are really leveraging social media to create, you know, successful businesses. And one of the things in which I loved about your company is that your ingredients are so premium, right? Your product, like you said, you don't like to compromise your quality. And it seems like you're really influencing your community for a pause, you know, in a positive light by really representing, you know, these ingredients and really putting forth a product that is so good and so, so much of quality. So how do you think that, you know, your brand really impacts your community and influences your community? As far as influencing the community, the the story is a huge draw for people because they feel they can relate to different aspects. I think early on, the, the reason to root and the reason to get behind it or feel connected was reinventing oneself coming out of the recession. That was a really yeah. important kind of inspirational element for us. And so a lot of people, I think, you know, saw themselves in that and whether they ended up having to do it or not, or chose to do it or not, there's something very relatable and exciting about um, someone taking a big risk and, and, and for the reason of, of bringing so much joy to so many people through something like ice cream. And I think over time, that inspirational story has continued to evolve. And now a big part of that today is women leadership and culture of women leadership. And not only about just having those women leaders, but what does that mean for the brand? How are decisions made here? What what kind of collaborative style do we have? What is what is how does that impact the thoughtfulness of what we create and the messaging we put out there? And I think for both women and men of all ages, you know, whether that's a, a full-grown woman in business or, you know, someone's daughter or even someone's son, uh, someone's husband who feels that that's exciting um, to get a different perspective. Um, from the brands they're buying. I think that is a major community resonator right now. And I would say that's the number one kind of asset that we see um, making that connection on social media for people like, oh, I didn't know Cool House was women and founded and led everything. They love everything already about the product and the deliciousness and the fun. That's just a, a whole other exciting reason to to get behind it and to feel that the community is engaged. I love that. Yes, a hundred percent. And I love that you also too, that's something that you guys highlight on, right? Is that you guys are women founded and led. 
Absolutely. That's a major call for us. It's the one asset that's really on the front of our packaging. That is so awesome. And I love it, you know, and I I think that too gives so many women out there so much hope is to see that you guys too are kind of putting yourselves on the forefront and really talking about it, right? And creating a place for education so that they can learn more and that we can actually educate the community about these things. Yeah. And I think, you know, you can, you have to be able to see what it is you want to be, or that at least makes it a lot easier. And so I, I have a very good feeling about this next generation of young women. I can already see the difference in what they're dreaming of being and, and how they feel that it's possible. Absolutely. So let's dive into social media. So, you know, we talk about, the, again, this influencer trend, how businesses are building, really building themselves and really elevating their brands through social media. How does social media kind of play into Cool House? So there's a lot of different ways. I think, I think that... For us, a big part of storytelling, it's really important, you know, for people to know who's behind the brand, what we're about, who are the stories of our customers. You know, our culture isn't just us. It's the people who, who are fans, who buy the products, who are clients. We're all one culture together. And we talk to those people like they're our friends, not just that they're, you know, someone, it's not transactional. It's really important. So I think that's one element. I think the product and the product awareness is really key. So there's a brand awareness element, product awareness, you know, explaining what's new, explaining where to get it, facilitating the the capability of just making it easier to enjoy Cool House and engaging our following and, and everything that we have going on in that way is, is really important as well. You know, it, that, that can mean our shops, that can mean our trucks, that can mean grocery. So it's really, you know, you kind of have to build into like, I think the content calendar, like all these different aspects and make sure that it's easier for people to understand what it is we're putting out there and how they can participate in it. I think a lot of social media is listening, you know, not just talking at your following, but what are they saying? What are they getting about what you're putting out there? And then how are you re-engaging with that? How are you bringing them back into the conversation so that it's this endless loop of just excitement about what we're doing, excitement about what they're getting and how we can really honor and value like how amazing it is that they do want to talk about us and they, that they do want to be heard by us. So that's, I think really, really important. I think that, you know, I, I think that if you're going to have influencers or celebrities involved, like at this point, I think we're in like a sort of post pay for play moment. I think that people are starting to see through a lot of the authenticity of people being bought to say they love certain things. So I think you have to make that organic connection with someone. And, and if they're then interested in celebrating your brand and sharing it with their you know big following, then we're all about that. And we're all about supporting it, but we don't even have a budget to pay for anything like that. Like we, we, we consider that like that should be an organic partnership and make it as win-win as possible rather than throwing dollars at a relationship. I think that's really interesting. You know, I feel because, you know, on one side of the end, we hear that brands actually are starting to develop these huge, huge, huge budgets for influencer marketing, right? But I like that you guys think that that needs to be completely organic and that, you know, like you said, if someone is interested in celebrating the brand, it's going to be an organic kind of partnership. Exactly. I, well, and I want to kind of like unpack that a little bit as well. So tell me, you know, like, cause I, I also think that user generated content and showcasing, you know, your kind of consumers and people on social media is huge for them, right? Like they get excited. They want to showcase, they get, you know, 
creative when it comes to creating the content behind it. How do you guys go about that? Do you reach out to them or is it strictly them coming to you and saying, Hey, look, you know, here's an amazing picture that I did with cool house. I think, I think you have to, you know, having someone really awesome on your team, we we're very lucky. Our social media manager, Lisa Kwan is just very dialed in and really knows what she likes out there and knows what's mm-hmm. going to be exciting for the brand. So I think there's a certain amount of discovery and outreach that you have to do. I think if you're waiting for it to all come to you, you're not, you're not only going to not get the whole, the whole pie, you know, that's out there. You're just going to get a piece of that pie, but you may not be getting the best people because you're just relying on what's coming to you rather than seeking out what you know is best for the brand. Cause only, you know, the brand as, as well, as well as you can, like we are the ones who are the most obviously intimate with what we're trying to achieve. And then I think, you know, from there, I think you, you have to build, I mean, it, it may not be just one email or one DM, like, what are you really going to build around this? That's going to be worthwhile for everybody. I don't think you have to start huge every time you can start small, but really making sure the audience is aligned and, and having that why really clearly laid out, having, you know, a metric in mind of what you're trying to achieve from doing this and how most importantly, how you're going to re-engage the potential follower growth that you get from some sort of partnership. You know, people can, you can add a thousand in a day, but if they're not actually your true fans who feel reconnected with the next kind of round of discussion you're putting out there or post you're putting out there, they're just going to lose them on the next week. Absolutely. And that's so amazing to hear. I love that you said that, you know, you need to have something in mind and you kind of need to make sure that, you know, you have this, you just have this idea of what you're wanting, right? I think a lot of times too, what we see, especially with maybe newer brands is just kind of throwing marketing dollars on the wall and hoping something that sticks, right? right. Or saying that influence influencer marketing is a trend right now. So let's go spend, you know, this huge amount of budget trying to kind of tackle everybody and just kind of blanket the market. Market. Right, exactly. And I think I love what like, what you guys are doing. I I love that you you know there is you know a vision, there is a direction, and there's a goal in mind. And I think that really creates a special partnership with those that you know endorse Coolhouse and that actually love and like you said celebrate the product. Yeah, exactly. Totally. So where do you see social media going? You know, there's all these different trends going on. We're seeing, you know, different platforms popping up kind of left and right. Where do you see it going and how do you think it's going to impact businesses? I think that there is going to be more and more of trying to like really showcase the truly authentic and sort of raw elements of this story and who's behind something. I think even looking at like TikTok, for example, which is, you know, now really the biggest network in the world is this is what the younger generation is embracing. It doesn't mean they're going to stick with it as they get older. I think as you get older, you do start to like a pretty picture, you know, and you do sort of maybe want to have uh, things that might be a little more, you know, look like a photo or a video that's professionally done or in a studio. But I think there's something really interesting there in like the, the rawness and the realness and the silliness of telling stories kind of just not having it feel as premeditated. So I think as far as content, we're moving more and more in the direction of like away from the pretty into the quote unquote ugly. And I think we're all looking for authenticity in today's world of, you know, it's just so much, so much of, of, uh, content that's really, you know, um, very much, um, architected. And then also in so much of just information that is hard to tell what's real and what's fake sometimes. I, I think that, 
there will be continue to be, I think, probably more and more like ease with driving dollars from connecting like consumer habits to social. It's obviously mm. growing in that direction. You've always had digital ads and now you have like more clickable um, posts that, that you can do direct shopping. But I still think there's a huge, uh, like more sort of, how would you say, like there's there's potential to really make that even more seamless and more user-friendly. And I'll be interested to see how that continues to evolve, especially, you know, if you're in, in the e-com world. Yeah. And I, I like that you're kind of tapping into that too, because, you know, we were, I was talking with a girlfriend of mine that started a digital marketing agency after being in the industry for like, like four or five years. And she was kind of, you know, saying that her specialty is really creating, you know, really creating an, some type of way to storytell a product without it seeming like a typical traditional advertisement, right? Yeah. And I love that we're in this trend now where we are starting to see, you know, millennials have been marketed to since the day we were born. Right. We've been advertised to since the day we that we were born. So now we're really searching for brands and products like that you said really resonate with us, whether it's the ingredients, whether it's the quality, whether it's, you know, the women behind the brand, you know, it's just a whole different world right now as far as marketing goes. Absolutely. It's, it's yeah. changed so much and it's, not, it's also changing faster than ever. Yeah. And it's really interesting. It's, you know, it's funny because we do so much kind of social media advertising and obviously the influencer relations and things like that. It seems like there's, you have to really understand the brand and it all really kind of comes back down to, like you said, the story and the, you know, kind of bones of the brand. And that's how now we have to kind of really reverse engineer the way that we're reaching new audiences and the way that we're targeting them or actually just reaching out to people that we think would be our ideal consumer. Absolutely. So cool. So I want to chat a little bit, you know, about this entrepreneurial side as well. I know you've kind of talked and tapped in a little bit about some struggles and things like that, but as you know, an entrepreneur, as the CEO of Cool House, what was the biggest struggle in your business? I think because we started the business so young and with me personally, really no experience in, in managing a team, I think there's a huge learning curve in terms of not only how to best do that and best practices, but also what works best for you. It takes time to come to know yourself as a leader and, and a manager, which are kind of two different things, but both you kind of cultivate and develop. And now for me, it's been a decade. And I think you become so much clear on who you are and what you're, what you're putting out there, what you're, what you're projecting to your team and how you best can inspire and create work environments that are that have longevity, that have fun, that inspire creativity and inspire really hard work and getting the job done. So I think, you know, that's probably been like one of the biggest growth curves for me over the years. And I think almost anyone would say that, you know, no two people are alike. So each one is a very special, special bond and a special relationship. And you can't beat yourself up about it. It's very easy to do that at the top. It's important to be patient with yourself give yourself room to grow and connect with other people who are managers and leaders and feel like you're not at it alone. Yeah, absolutely. Again, you keep talking about how you surround yourself with like the best of the best. And I think that's <laughs> such a great point. Also tell me a little bit about, you know, is there any advice you would give for somebody that, you know, maybe has a business partner or is thinking about getting a business partner? Are there any tips about how to find that ideal match? I think, you know, really think about where you want to concentrate your energy. And then what would this person, ideal person look like that was 
best, you know, like that you could best really be aligned in your vision and, and in your style, but also be different in the right ways that is going to make it the most symbiotic partnership. And then put the word out there as much as possible, you know, in your community, really vocalize that you're looking for this person. And then ultimately, very likely, I mean, we use a lot of recruiters, I think, looking for people to bring to your team is a full time job. And even though there's cost involved, if you get someone great, it's worth it, you know, and beyond. So again, sometimes you may need to also have an expert to help you <laughs> search for that person. I love it. And then our last one, tell us a little bit too about if you could give, you know, a young entrepreneur or even yourself back when you were starting Cool House, one tip or one piece of advice, what would that be? I, I would say, you know, think really big and lay out that vision very specifically, you know, make a two, five, 10 year plan and write it all down in present tense with as much deal as possible, much detail as possible. And also right one that's business and one that's personal because especially as women it's important that we factor ourselves into this vision and know that this is going to be rewarding for us personally that we'll be able to make a living that we'll be able to you know not feel burnt out and and really think about what that's going to mean for you what you're going to want to be doing to make that possible i love it i love the vision i love that you said think big i love that we talked about experts and specialties i think that's so important and now we're going to go ahead and move into the fun part of our show we're going to do some fun rapid fire I'm super excited to hear all of your favorite things. So we're going to jump right in. Awesome. So what is your favorite Instagram to stalk? (laughs) I really like, well, I like funny ones. I like, like I follow like Julia Louis-Dreyfus. I think she is so hilarious and cool. And I, I think Veep is so iconic. Um, especially for someone leading a team and like having the comedy of that show is like perfect. I love, you know, my, my wife does this social media for a future gym, which is a all women, uh, run gym company, everything from distillation to distribution. And it's funny because like, obviously we spend so much time together, but she surprises me with all the amazing stuff she's posting about it. And it's nice to be surprised by the person that you're, you know, spend that much time with. Um, (laughs) That's cool. I'm a big fan of always checking, checking that out. You know, like I would say it's, it's probably pretty different for like the big ones that cool house follows. And then that I follow personally because I'm, I'm on there personally, but it's not like a huge, huge part of my existence. So it's just nice Mm -hmm. to sort of even just get those little updates from, from friends or just see, see what they're up to, but not in a way that feels like it's overwhelming my life or like competitive at all. So I, I kind of more probably use it, uh, for that. And then I'm thinking, I also like, like, I guess the, the last one I'll say is like, the we right now we live in um mid city west adams in la and mm-hmm. there's so many restaurants that are growing around us and it's a neighborhood that's really just having a renaissance so i love to like track community development within instagram you know seeing mm-hmm. the new restaurants popping up and what they're putting out there and who's enjoying them is like very very special to me and i really really try to engage with them and encourage them about how excited we are that they're that they're that they've come to this area you're so supportive of your community. I love it. I, I feel kind of the same way about San Diego, right? Like we yeah. kind of were such a sleepy city. And now I feel like we're really having some amazing, amazing business owners and hospitality groups and just different restaurant owners and curators, like really kind of bring the city to life and really be on top of these different trends. So I, I love that because I feel like I'm the same way about my city. Yes. it's There's such a... 
like having and having that that spirit of like enjoying where you are is is so important i think totally so we, i want to move into asking you if you have a self love or wellness practice it's pretty high ranking for me you know making sure that i take care of myself a few different major rituals uh i start every day with my matcha i love everything about like waking up to it, you know, the, mm. the, the ritual of making it. And I have my little, like, you know, the, my little brush for stirring it. So I have my own little, like, you know, I, I wouldn't call it necessarily a ceremony, but yeah. ceremonial, <laughs> ceremonial grade matcha and the taste and the way that it wakes you up, but in like a very calm and very, um, you know, it, 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 there's something about it. That's like, you're awake, but in a, in a relaxing way, which is like amazing, mm. I think. And I that's bring it with awesome. me even when I travel. I, I really don't drink coffee at this point. That's that's amazing. I, I have never a girlfriend that's awake at night. So that's another part of I think wellness is sleeping well. I uh I do exercise a lot. Um I love there's a studio in LA, playlist yoga, that's awesome. I do Rise Nation, which is climbing. I do some kickboxing. I'm I'm on a basketball team and a softball team. So I, I really believe in, in being active and, and loving the exercise you do, not thinking of it as a chore, but thinking it as something that's joyful and fun. And then recently, I'm, I'm not I've not ever been super into this, but like uh, a friend of mine, we we caught up with her. She has this company called Sagely. And it's CBD products. And she has this oil and this lotion that if you just put a little on at night, like the level of sleep that it takes you to is so phenomenal. And I've been finding that even I I, like, maybe there was like a week where I use it like two or three times and I haven't even really had it much since then, but I feel like ever since using it in general, my sleep is just deeper. Like it just changed my sleep for, for good. That's amazing. I love that. What was it called again? Sagely. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we're going to have to put oh, that in the show notes. Yeah. And I have to add one more gardening. Gardening is one of my favorite things. I have six veggie boxes at our house and it is so incredibly soothing to plant things and watch them grow and then harvest them, enjoy them, share them with friends. One of my favorite things in the world as well. Something you can do your whole life too. I love it. You kind of have a little bit of everything, right? You have yeah. like the grounding aspect, you have like the movement aspect and you have your matcha, which I love. So moving forward, what is your, what is your favorite go-to cocktail or mocktail? I would say cocktail is with uh, future gin because it is my favorite, either uh, Negroni and I do lots of variations on Negroni or I love to make actually a dirty martini with it. Um, it's great in a dry martini too, but a dirty martini. And I put a little, um, I like to put a little dill from the garden as the garnish for a dirty martini. It's wow. still good. Um, yeah. that's my favorite. Nice. What kind of olive person are you? I, I always ask, cause I, I feel like the olives are the ones that really make the dirty yeah. martini. I go Castelvetrano and <laughs> sometimes I stuff my own olives with Humboldt fog. So you get instead of the blue cheese olive, you get that California cheese olive, signature California cheese. Wow. Um, that sounds amazing. Yeah, it's delicious. I'm going to have to try that. I love that you stuff your own olives. I yeah. need to get on that train. Yeah, I'm fancy like that. <laughs> <laughs> with, with naturally with the dill from your garden. That's amazing. <laughs> no big deal. No big deal. No big deal. Yeah. Okay. What about your favorite podcast that you're listening to right now? Um, besides this one. Oh, you're the best. Yes. <laughs> I I really love okay, the ones I listen to 
the kind of the most routinely, the daily and uh, today explained just in terms of like, there's, it's, it's slightly current events based, most of them. So that's just an easier one to plug into, but I do love Freakonomics. And what I love about it is the takeaways that you get mm-hmm. from like, these are actionable things like, Oh, I'm going to go invest in the stock market that way. Or, you know, now I know that's something that's, that's really good, you know, I don't know for your brain or whatever it may be. Like, I think that Freakonomics does a really good job of giving you actionable skills. Yeah, I I love that. Do you ever listen to uh, the Skim? Yes, I, I have before. Yes. See, I'm really caught up on that one. I think it's just because it's so quick that yeah. it's kind of like you're like I listen to it from my drive from my office to my drive home every day around like I think it's like five or six here, and it, it's nice. I love you know I feel like too I, we have to stay up with current events and really kind of be following trends and. So I love those. I love little quick, easy podcasts that kind of keep you in the loop. Totally. Absolutely. What about your favorite business owner? Do you have like a favorite business owner or somebody that you just kind of look up to that, you know, whether it's their own business or an entrepreneur or just somebody kind of of influence? Jane Warwand, uh, who grew and sold Dermalogica to Unilever and who is actually on our start to sale podcast is amazing and has just amazing wisdom. And also Piera Gilardi, one of the founders of Refinery29, who's a friend as well. And also on the podcast is just so amazing about transparency and honesty and vulnerability. And I really admire the way that she's, that she leads. That's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. I, 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 first off, I got to listen to this podcast. I, I got to admit, I haven't listened to it yet, but you've mentioned it twice now and and especially the guests. That's amazing. It sounds like it's just so full of knowledge and value. Tell me, I want to, I want to kind of ask you a little bit about it. How did you get started with that podcast? So start to sale, which is on with Vox and Eater came, um, out because of uh, my good friend, Erin Patankin, who's also CEO and founder. Um, she, her business is called Ovenly Bakeries. We would just have these like really off the cuff conversations about growing a business and leadership and what it takes. And we thought if only we could amplify these conversations, kind of what you talk about CEO to CEO and really share them with the world that there's so much there to, to kind of dig into. It turned out that Eater was looking for more business voices, more female voices, and we just really aligned with them on what we wanted to bring to the podcast world and how we plan to do it. And then we you know, recorded the first season. That's incredible. Okay. So go listen to it. Where can we find you guys? Is it on iTunes and on Spotify? Yeah. Uh, anywhere that you can, you know, check out podcasts, you can find it. I love it. Well, Natasha, you've been such an amazing guest and thank you so much for sharing your story and all the value that you have. I feel like this episode was super educational and just hearing, you know, the way that you were really able to take something that was, you know, just kind of your hobby and something that you really, really thoroughly enjoyed and love to create into now the successful empire. It's been, it's been a real honor to have you on. And I want to ask one last question before we wrap up this episode. And I want to go ahead and ask you, what does influence mean to you? Influence means that you have an idea, you have a way of putting that idea out there and you have a really excited audience to believe that this idea is, is possible and is something that they want to see as a reality. 
That's incredible. Absolutely. I completely agree. Well, Natasha, thank you so much for going under the influence with us. It's been a pleasure to have you on. And where can we go ahead and find you and Cool House? Where can we follow you? Give us all the plugs. So our website, cool.house, that's C-O-O-L dot H-A-U-S. Pretty much all of our social handles, all of our social handles, excuse me, are at Cool House, C-O-O-L-H-A-U-S. And I'm Natasha J. Case, C-A-S-E, on Instagram. I love it. Well, thanks again for coming on. Thanks for having me. A lot of fun.